All history was a palimpsest, scraped clean and reinscribed exactly as often as was necessary. Welcome to the We Read Books podcast. (laughs) We read books, and then we talk about them for our own entertainment, and hopefully for yours. Hopefully, but not necessarily. True. (laughs) We'll do this whether you enjoy it or not. (laughs) That's exactly right. And that's Whitney. And that's Maddie. We will be your hosts <laughs> from now and in perpetuity. Indeed. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. You can find us on Instagram at We Read Books Pod, at TikTok, on TikTok at We Read Books Pod, and our email is We Read Books Pod 23 at Gmail. Whitney is the arbiter of many beautiful pieces of. Photography, I guess. I it's, do. I it's do photography. Snap. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's with my phone, it's it's, it's still photography, right? <laughs> um, and it kind of announces uh, the book we're doing of the week, or however often we put out episodes. We haven't really decided because we're like batch reading yeah. and recording. You're you're getting a look way behind the curtain. We're on episode four. Four. Well. Book four, I guess technically it might episode, be episode five. five. <laughs> yeah, so this is book four. But um, but yeah, we have not re- we have not released a single episode yet. Yeah, <laughs> because books are so much different than creating content for any other subject, really. Yeah, you can't consume them very quickly, or at least not all of it. You can't consume very quickly. Yeah, and you, I mean, for our purposes, we want to like read it annotate it combine it into a like a skeleton of what we want to talk about so it takes longer than even a week really i mean yes you know especially if we're doing like a longer book we have several long books in the (laughs) queue like long long yeah so we'll see could be weekly could be every other week yeah maybe you'll just find yourself not getting any for a couple weeks, and then you get, like, three. You just never know. Right. We may just keep you on your toes. That's right. We're not going to lock ourselves in. Who wants to do that? Nah. No. We're very freeform. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know Maddie had a correction slash clarification that she wanted to make from the last episode, so. Yes. Since we recorded the last episode uh, several weeks ago, this I had did not have in my brain until this instant, but... This is a clarification. We discussed the Mary Sue trope when we talked about a discovery of witches. And we posed the question, is there a male version of the Mary Sue trope? Turns out there is a term for this, and it is hella dumb. <laughs> it's, there are two options. They either go Gary Stew or Marty Stew. 
like Gary. I don't know why. <laughs> Gary makes me think of Parks and Rec. I know. <laughs> so it, and it, maybe that's why, you know, yeah. Gary, Gary, Terry. Larry. Larry. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the opposite of a Gary Stew, though. He, everything. Yeah. Everything is wrong. Yeah, everything is wrong. Everything exactly. wrong happens to him. He does everything it, incorrectly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, so while the term exists, I had never heard this term before, and I don't think you had either. I had maybe heard it once before, and I don't think it was Gary or Marty. It was, but it, it was some, I knew it was something stew, but I wasn't sure, and I, c- I couldn't remember. Because yeah. maybe once in my 35 years of life had I yeah. <laughs> maybe heard it. Yeah. But, I mean, so there it is. There's the, the two options for you. Um, I feel like I spend a large amount of my free time consuming a lot of, like, book literary fandom content, and I hear Mary Sue at least once a day. <laughs> I've never heard Gary Stew or Marty Stew, <laughs> so uh, there's an imbalance, to say yeah. the least, the you know. boys so. are just expected to be. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, it's like both sides of the coin with fictional male characters. So we will fully accept a male character who is insanely beautiful, hyper athletic, incredibly smart and super sweet and kind and perfect in every way. We will accept him fully, but we will also accept a male character who is super hot, but maybe a little bit. Morally ambiguous. Morally ambiguous. (laughs) Maybe he kills people and doesn't tell you. Maybe he's a bit of a dick. We also don't care about that. We will accept him, too. Right. Because there's there's that golden sweet nugget on the inside that you have to work really hard to get to. Exactly. So (laughs) we really like the male characters who are perfect perfect as packaged. Mm -hmm. And we also like the ones who are not. But I feel like if a girl is, like, a jerk straight out the bat... You hate her always. Yeah, even even if she attempts to redeem herself. Yeah. <laughs> it's It just is very unfortunate. Yeah. Because how do you win as a writer when you're trying to write a female character? How do you win? You do whatever right? the blip you That's want. That's exactly right. <laughs> I will say that... Um, that, I think, is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the Throne of Glass series in general mm-hmm. is because at the end of the day, I didn't really care that much about any of the male characters. Did I like Rowan and Dorian and Fenris? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course I did. They're mm-hmm. great. But I also, they they were not integral to the end of the story. Yeah. And yeah, I did like the prince and I can't think of their names. Names have literally escaped me. <laughs> um, from the southern continent, like Sartak and Hassar. You know the ones she meets in the second book. Am I mixing up books? I don't. I I don't know. <laughs> because I, I don't know. Because he's the throne of glass, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who does she meet? The, the the prince of the king that she hates, and then like his... oh, that's Dorian. Dorian. Yeah, he's in the he's in the first. Did you say Dorian? I did. I think Dorian... Dorian. all this out, I'm such a fool. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dorian. What's his friend's name? Kayal. Kayal. That's oh, who I was okay. trying to think of. Yeah, Kayal. I my brain, my ears did not hear Dorian because oh. I think I was trying to think. What's that other guy's name? That got uh, his own book. Yeah, yeah. Kayal. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think that series, the women in that series are not. They're unapologetic more so than most yeah. female leads. Like, Aelin is cocky and aggressive and an asshole sometimes Mm -hmm. and like the witches are all like that's who they are yeah they're it's what discipline obedience brutality is like their motto like that's so hardcore dude i feel like you get a good like mix of different women from different walks of life and different experiences like Mm -hmm. there's not one that's exactly like the other but they all bring something unique and cool to the table yes i agree which i really enjoyed that and manon is my hands down favorite yeah and she's such a dick most of the time (laughs) so i mean it can I guess maybe I just don't care that much. Like, I yeah. will like a character when they're an asshole. Like, I just don't care. Yeah. But so many people really, like, will develop a visceral reaction to characters who are unlikable. Right. Unless which, they're... Draco Malfoy is one of the most deplorable creatures. Oh, yeah. He's... And Snape, too. Yeah. Yeah. But people absolutely love them. Which they, yeah. I'm not saying... Especially Draco, because he's a child who has been, like clearly emotionally abused so he you know, yeah he turns that leaf fully indoctrinated right from the beginning right snape may have you know had some somewhat good motives underneath but he was needlessly cruel and not just to harry no to everyone. everyone yeah he took that pain and thrusted upon innocent children yeah but everybody loves the guts out of him but dolores umbridge is a monster right because it's, Don't come at me saying that Snape is totally different than Dolores Umbridge. I know this, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the only thing that separates Snape from Umbridge is motive. Mm-hmm. Both of them are cruel and hateful and re- power-hungry mm-hmm. people. They both really thrive on that I have control of you thing. Mm-hmm and exploit that Mm -hmm. to the detriment of children. Both of them do all of those things. Mm -hmm. The only difference is maybe not even their motives because both of their motives are selfish and self-centered. But Snape's is selfish because he loved Lily. Right. Or maybe a better term for his wasn't love. He was obsessed with her. Yeah. So his motive is not that far removed from himself. Yeah. And Umbridge, her motive is strictly self. Yeah. So I think we're really not talking about differences here, to be honest. Right. But, but Snape is well-beloved. Yeah, he is. And I feel like it would... Do you, do, you, do you attribute that to Alan Rickman? I was just going to say, I think a lot of that could be Alan Rickman. And if we were... If we lived in a world where there were no films Mm -hmm. i feel like the love for draco and for snape might not exist because tom felton is a very likable actor and alan rickman come on you know so i do think that people get that conflated in their minds Mm -hmm. and whereas like um imelda staunton who played umbridge Mm -hmm. people 
didn't really, like, she was around for a second. Yeah. So you don't have time to, like, love her as an actor. Yes. Like you did yeah. with Snape and with Snape and Draco, so right. you know I don't know. Right. Again, we're attacking we're attacking women here. It's gr- it's just it's so lovely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of people who love control, Ew. here's our fourth book, which is 1984. Yes, it is. It this is the pinnacle. Of the dystopian canon. Yep. This is the Juggernaut. It's not the original. We have to clarify that. The original is a book called We. Oh. That I've not read. But when you say dystopian, Mm -hmm. you think 1984. I don't even know that I've heard of We. I think it is because the writer who wrote We, his last name is like Z... Zeminski or mm-hmm. something like that. So I think it might be an Austrian novel or oh, okay. maybe even Russian. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very, it's pretty niche. It's not super common and popular. Right. Whereas this is, like you said, like the it's, dystopian novel. Yeah, it's the quintessential. It's the most famous of the genre, but it is one of the, what they call the big three. So that's 1984, Fahrenheit 451, and Brave New World. I've actually not read Brave New World either. I've never, um, I, I haven't read Fahrenheit 451 or Brave New World, but um, I'm excited to. <laughs> yeah. Fahrenheit 451 is excellent. It's the book burning. Right. Book. Right. Which, interestingly, Fahrenheit 451 is supposed to be the temperature at which paper will spontaneously combust that's that's yeah i think i've heard that before even though i haven't read the book like it's it's referred to so culturally yeah that yeah you just i would think you've at least heard of it yeah i'm sure it's it's a lovely book uh it very very different from 1984 Ray Bradbury as, though is a totally different type of author oh yeah he's much more um of a master of prose reading just reading like a section of his prose is wild. <laughs> He's it's one of those some some authors really have that knack for just mm-hmm. like stringing together sentences where it's musical almost. Oh, that yeah, that's a cool way to, to yeah. Put it. I would say that Ray Bradbury is definitely one of those writers. George Orwell, no. <laughs> He's his nineteen eighty four is excellent. In a wildly different way. Yes. Yeah. It's it's descriptive and at times somewhat repetitive, but like it it still finds a way to really get its point across. Yeah. It um, it's a very intentional book and it's very unique as far as structure because you don't get a ton of character development. And there's not really an in-depth or complex plot either. Because I usually find in books, you either have a character-driven or a plot-driven, and this is neither. (laughs) So, (laughs) Just 50-50. Yeah, it's... Get a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. But not a lot of either. It's very weird. It's a weird... Yeah. It's a weird way to write. Because I think you just have... As a writer, you have different intentions, yeah. or it's like you have enough of both to make a story. Yes, enough character, enough story. Yeah, 
the really important part is the world. Yeah. That they live in. Yeah. That's, like, the driving force behind everything else. Somehow it's truly the main character, but it is the background of the book. Right, exactly. (laughs) Like, it's the setting, but it's... But the setting controls everything that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird. So your invisible protagonist is the setting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, weird. The book was published in 1949... But it was written in 1948. I wrote a little blurb here. Is it weird that it's just like a, an inverse? 1948 is when he wrote it. 1984 is where it's set. He just flipped them. I think he thought, how many years ahead should this be? And then he thought, well, if I swap yeah. these, that's enough time. That's enough. That's enough time for the world to go to garbage. It's, yeah. it's been so close so far. Yeah. Turns out. He's right. (laughs) Now, the 80s were a glorious era, but in real life. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't live in the 80s, so I don't really know. You know, I only lived in the 80s for two years. But I like a lot of things that were created in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pop culturally, it was a great era. Right. Living in it. Yeah, I, I really can't. I, I can't comment. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I like a lot of things that came out in the 70s and the 60s. Well, when I say 60s, I really just mean the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the 70s. Yeah. I, love, I would have liked to live in the 70s. Or, like, way, if I was going to pick a different era to live in, I would either pick the 70s to be, like, Late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. I would pick the 70s, or I would take it, like, 18th century. Way back. Yeah. Nice. Fully removed from modern times. I have thought about this and never landed on an answer. Because mm-hmm. there just feels like there's complications in any one that I would choose. Agreed. So Agreed. Just, it's like, aesthetically, probably, yeah. Yeah. Aesthetics purely. Yeah, yeah. It would not be a good time for us to live because we're women, and it would just, we would, you know, we wouldn't be get to be people, really, so right. that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> but Dakota had an interesting time travel idea if it was ever an option, which, I mean, we're not going to see time travel, but <laughs> in the future, maybe it will exist. But he said it would be cool if you could time travel to different eras and be like live your teen years in multiple eras like Mm. you just put in what age you want to be and what era you want to be that age in so you could like pop around yeah like i want to be 18 years old in this time period right like maybe you want to see the beatles at shea stadium so you want to be 18 19 20 yeah and like 1964 i think is when they were there i don't Mm. i think that's right i don't know we just need holodecks, like, um, from Star Trek. Yeah. And then you could experience it with zero of the dangers. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's kind of what Dakota was getting But no, at. that's like, a very, that's, yeah, that, that would be cool. Because you want to experience certain events, but you don't want to, like, go all the way back to the 60s to experience that one event and then age. Right. right. He, right. he wants to, like be this age to experience this thing. That moment. That's, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I like that. 
I like that a lot. That would be sick. <laughs> the themes of the novel. Uh, it's political commentary, um, fully. And he wrote the... He wrote this just a few years after the Holocaust and World War II. So he uses Stalin and Hitler as models for Big Brother and the party. And um, Goldstein is supposed to represent Leon Trotsky as well. So Big Brother is Stalin. Goldstein is Leon Trotsky, who was like a retractor from the USSR or the Soviet Union or whatever it was. Soviet Union, I think. So, these are, like, direct mirrors of people. And just a short summary of the story. We'll get into it much more detailed. But, um, so, we have Winston Smith. Um, He's an outer member of the party, um, which is the leading power structure uh, in Oceania. Um, It's a totalitarian state that controls and monitors every aspect of the lives of its citizens. Joyful fun. Um, (laughs) Winston is your typical everyday man, and we see him struggle against the oppression of the party and question the things and people around him. Um, And he meets Julia, a young woman. And then any more to tell you any more would just spoil things. So that's your short summary. If you haven't read the book, I'm not totally sure why you're here because all the spoilers in every episode. That's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess if you don't want to put in the legwork of reading 1984, but you want to be able to talk about 1984 as if you've read it, you're in the right place. Absolutely. <laughs> we won't rat you out, Mm-mm. so feel free. I guess, what was that? Well, I can't think of it now, but, you know, the thing that you would read to get a summary of the book to pretend like you read it so you could do your book report. Like a Reader's Digest? Maybe. I feel like there was another word for it, but I can't think of it. Oh, shit. I, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when you have to do those, like, read, uh, the reading quizzes mm-hmm. at school. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't remember what it's called. Spark Notes. Might be. Is Spark it Spark Notes? notes? That Maybe. does give you, a, a, like, a plot summary. And it will, like, break down characters for you. It's actually pretty Yeah, in-depth. I think that's it. I think that's what I'm, I'm thinking of is Spark Notes, mm-hmm. which I think in a lot of classes, like, became a big no-no. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people use Spark Notes at, when I was in college and in grad school, to be honest. Really? I think people used it more of, like, a, I'm going to read the material, mm-hmm. but I'm going to read the Spark Notes because it does, like, break down. Like, it'll give you themes, motifs, symbolism. Yeah character analysis and it'll give you like chapter by chapter shit and then analyze that chapter. Yeah, it deepens your understanding. Yeah, so I think a lot of people would go there for like a quick, I need to like analyze this, but I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. I loved Uh, when people were like, oh, just, I'll watch the movie. (laughs) No. I had literally, not so much in undergrad, but when I was in grad school, the teacher, whenever we would have books, they're like, don't come to class if all you are going to do is watch the movie. This is, this is fucking grad school. Right. Like, ste- step up. Right. We're raising the stakes. Right. I'm going to ask you questions that were definitely not in the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, I, I think I mostly heard that, like, in high school or something like that. Oh, yeah, that. probably. But, I mean, and yeah. most people, if you're in grad school and you're trying to get a master's degree in literature, 
it's the English department in general is super elitist. Like yeah. most people who are in that department, they're they're gonna read everything multiple times. And if there's like one work by an author, they're gonna read that and then they're gonna read all of their other work too. Mm-hmm. So that when they're talking to you about the one that was assigned, they can reference all the other shit and kind of like trounce you a little if you didn't. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> super elitist. It's not competitive because it's also got that air of like, if you completed it, you get the credit, right? Like, mm-hmm. s- like subject everything subjective. Your mm-hmm. argument is valid no matter mm-hmm. what it is. People really, they want you to know yeah. that you read oh, yeah. it all. Yeah, I mean, if you're in grad school and you're watching movies, you should you shouldn't be in there for literature. You should go to film school. You should, yeah, yeah, exactly. College is a weird, weird place. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so the setting. We are in the authorian state, authoritarian state of Oceana. So Oceana is what we to know today as like the Americas and the UK. Um, and Winston lives in Airstrip One, which is London. Um, and the party, as we've already said, is the leading group of Oceana, and the figurehead leader is Big Brother. So he's, like, on all the posters. He's got dark hair. He's got a mustache. That's really all you need to know about Big Brother. Right. (laughs) You don't actually... He's not, like, a living, talking character in the Mm -hmm. book. You don't, like, meet Big Brother. Mm -hmm. But Big Brother exists... And he's always existed, and he will always exist. Yeah. Though, and maybe I should wait till later to mention this, there is one character that, when they reveal themselves, they do have dark hair and a dark mustache. I don't think he's the party leader, but right. I thought it was interesting. That it, Yes. That this character at least resembled. Yeah. I think there is an air of, like, emul- wanting to emulate the image of big brother Probably. kind of but. especially if you're like high in the ranks Cor- right 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 you, know. you fully bought in right <laughs> there are other two two other major powers in the world eurasia and east asia eurasia would be continental europe and russia and east asia would be china india japan the koreas and mongolia um and any uh, there's I don't know what Australia would be, maybe East Asia. And I know at one point it mentions it in the book, but I I didn't bother to write it down. (laughs) Yeah. These are, this is really like the area. Honestly, it doesn't really, East Asia, Eurasia, it doesn't really matter. Nope. Because we're, we're with one of them and we're in alliance with the other. Yep. And whoever we're friends with now, we've always been friends with them Mm -hmm. and we're at war with we're always going to and have been at war with them. And yeah. if it changes, nothing changed. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's how it's always been. Exactly. Mind blown. <laughs> yep. That's exactly basically what the next like bullet point is. There is a quote that I pulled for that specific point, and it says, Oceana was at war with Eurasia. Therefore, Oceana had always been at war with Eurasia. The enemy of the moment always represented absolute evil, and it followed that any past or future agreement with him was impossible. Rewriting them books. 
them history books. <laughs> yes. That's that's the idea of the palimpsest. Yep. We actually weirdly talked about palimpsest in A Discovery of Witches. Because Ashmole oh, 782 yeah. is a palimpsest. That's why that word, I was like, why does that word feel so fresh in my mind? One, I just kind of like the word palimpsest. It just it's, sounds cool. It does. And but. it's like a word you don't. <laughs> here all the time no, that's not one you can drop into yeah. Yeah. general conversation <laughs> yeah it's such a palimpsest don't you think like <laughs> it is a very like it is a, a word with a, a very elitist air oh my i could i could see someone who had no idea what the word meant dropping it in that way yeah and other people who also didn't know what it meant <laughs> just going with not, that yeah but not wanting to say so just being wow that oh yes it's so that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness so yeah okay so there are four parts of this government or four um branch branches yeah maybe we'll just yeah. say yeah it's, yeah we'll just call them branches yeah of this government um, so we have, first, the Ministry of Truth. Um, this is where our um, main character, Winston, works. Um, there they are in charge of the media. They make sure that history, quote-unquote, <laughs> is in line with what the party's ideology is at any given time. Um, so, like we said, you know, if if something changes, we change war from being at war with East Asia to Eurasia, Things are going to get changed to, you know, support that that's how it's always been. And that's that's the, the job of the Ministry of Truth. Um, they create the books for the nation um, in the Department of Fiction. Um, I think they also maybe write songs for the masses and yeah. different things like that. But it, it's all things that are meant to inform or uh, manipulate the populace, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. you could say. Um, and then we have the Ministry of Peace. Uh, this is the agency that is in charge of war strategy and planning. <laughs> totally makes sense. <laughs> then we have the Ministry of Love. This one is um, kind of mysterious in the beginning of the book, but it's the home of the thought police. And that's where um, thought criminals are taken. So, again matches the name super well uh and the the ministry of plenty this is the agency of economics so they make the decisions on rations for food and clothing and um other living needs of the population obviously these agencies are all supposed to illustrate irony they all are named the complete opposite of what they actually do though i believe full-heartedly that the party believes that the the discipline and torture of people is, in their sick way, some sort of love, and and so yeah. on and so forth. So I I yeah. don't think they see it as iron in irony at all. <laughs> yeah, no. Um. So yeah. So a lot of the citizens in this setting they are underfed. Uh, Winston literally has a single hunk of bread in his house and no other food. He has. This drink is it Victory Gin? Mm-hmm. That he, when he drinks it, it sounds absolutely awful. But and I'm it, I'm a gin person. If I'm gonna have like a cocktail, and yeah. his description of drinking Victory Gin sounded terrible. It, it sounded like <laughs> it just made your whole body feel like garbage, but yeah. it made your belly full. Yeah. Um, and 
the um, the agency in charge of providing the food and clothing is the Ministry of Plenty. Um, the Ministry of Peace handles war strategy. Uh, people are imprisoned, tortured, and killed in the Ministry of Love. And history is constantly rewritten as the present changes in the Ministry of Truth. So they're all working all the time mm-hmm. just to keep these people submissive. Yes. And what's interesting about, like, the Ministry of Plenty is one of the things is, like, they keep saying you have so much more than people had before the party. Yes. Yeah. You have so much more. You, Everything's so much better. But in reality, they're in, like, super dilapidated living quarters. They don't have food. Clothes, they, you know, Winston literally sleeps naked because he can't get pajamas. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Like the news, they'll they'll say, oh, um, reports that we were able to make ninety percent more boots than what was projected. It's like mm-hmm. and. They probably didn't make any boots at all. It's like yeah. there there was no percentage more because there was probably nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because people don't have... I don't even know that they have the minimum to live. Yeah, exactly. Then. Exactly. It's a really harsh world that they live in, but they're constantly told how good they have it. Even if you're... I mean, obviously, if you're an inner party member, you... Uh, haven't made in the shade. Right. Ish. Maybe. Yeah. We don't. Materialistically. Materialistically. made it in the shade. Yes. Um, but then the outer party. I mean, he, he works for the Ministry of Truth and he doesn't have pajamas and has a hunk of bread. That's it. Yeah. I, I'm thinking literally right now that the outer party is supposed to be like the middle class. Right. Right. And then you have the proles, which I can't even imagine how they survive with yeah. less than yeah. the outer party. Right. They literally have. But there's also the caveat with the proles, even though they're the lowest strata of society, they also are monitored much less. True. So they could. We don't spend much time with the proles. No. We, we don't get a, a lot about them. But. They could, if they're not monitored, they don't have telescreens watching their every move. They could have a black market. They yeah. might have more shit yeah. than the, the outer party. Maybe they're farming out there. God, I hope so. Because I don't know how they're alive one, yeah, with their one, many children. Yes, for sure. <laughs> That's wild. Speaking of children, not for the proles, because as we said, they're not they're not monitored. But for party members... They have an organization called the Junior Spies. So this is kind of like the school for children. They go and they learn about the party and Big Brother. And they're indoctrinated with the ideology of the party from a young age. So um, they are actually encouraged to report on people that they suspect of being thought criminals. And this includes their parents. Like there is no, there's no familial love. Like, you know, you learn in the book pretty quickly that Love is not something to be encouraged. Like, they no. do not want emotional ties like that. That's mm-hmm. too strong, and, and that could definitely deter people from loving the party. Yes. 
So yeah, they don't they don't want you having loving relationships with your spouses, and they definitely don't encourage loving relationships between parent and child. It's almost no. like just your duty to continue the human race. Yeah. So these kids have no loyalty to their parents because they're they're taught that you shouldn't. Yeah. It party above everything else, which is really. I guess, like, an unspoken theme, potentially, in the book Mm -hmm. is the discouragement of relationship Mm -hmm. and love. Because if you really love someone, say, like, the relationship between a parent and a child Mm -hmm. is, in our society, unconditional in most cases. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say every parent-child relationship is like that. But personally, my parents would go to the ends of whatever world for any me or any of my siblings. And that would absolutely not lend to a world in which the party would survive. No. So they have to go through years and years of indoctrinating people out of having loving relationships. Yeah. It's in like order they to- sterilize love and hope. Yeah. Yes. And use them as manipulation tools instead rather than yes what they truly are meant to be yes exactly that that kind of stuff really stuck out to me like you said even though they don't really address it specifically yeah those themes really it's it's yeah it comes it's on it's um unspoken to a degree really but it's implied heavily right Right. yeah It's so, it's very, the way that the book is written, it's so, it implies so much more than it actually says. Mm -hmm. Or it'll say it, but it it doesn't expand on that. Like it does the specifics of the party and and the inner workings and, and, and all that stuff. That is really the main focus. Yeah. It does give you a lot of room to think through what living in this society actually is. Mm -hmm. Instead of like getting hung up on plot points Mm -hmm. that I think that's one of the things that the novel really does well is that it gives you enough of a plot to have a reason to read it. Mm -hmm. But you're not hung up on what's happening to Winston really. I mean I wasn't necessarily. But I also expected the end Mm -hmm. sort of. It just it's expected because Winston expects it from the beginning. True. True. So you have a little more room and a little more time to sit with how it would be if you had to live in Oceana. Yeah. And I don't feel like the book tells you how it wants you to feel. It just sort of presents the facts. Yeah. Which is interesting, too. It is really interesting. So Winston is our protagonist, obviously. (laughs) Um, Julia is kind of our secondary character Mm -hmm. she's also an outer party member um she's obviously the love interest quote-unquote love quote-unquote yeah she's the female romantic lead i guess yeah yeah there you go um then you have o'brien he's a high-ranking inner party member um big brother is the omniscient omnipotent figurehead leader of the party whatever so he's all powerful all-knowing, and he's everywhere. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Yes. And I know that you mentioned it, but there are telescreens in everyone's home, and they see and hear everything you do. Yes. 
all of the time. All of the time. You're constantly being recorded. The key, what Winston points out is that you don't know if there's somebody from the Thought Police actively watching you at any given moment, but they could be at any given moment because you're constantly being recorded. And they can speak to you, too. It's not yes. like monitoring. It. They can... Yeah. Winston Smith. <laughs> yeah. Do your exercises correctly. Like <laughs> it's uh, The exercise portion is always so strange to me. It was so, like, almost random. Yeah, super random. Funny. She called him out, like, yeah. hey, stretch stop, better. Stop slacking. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Goldstein. He's the antagonist of the party. So... Um, he's the alleged leader of an anti-party organization called the Brotherhood. Um, no one actually knows if the Brotherhood exists. Is it more of an idea than an organized rebellion? Um, it's harder to eradicate an idea than an actual organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't, we're not really sure whether the Brotherhood exists or if it's a, or if it could also be a party invention used to trap disloyal people. And give the rest of the populace a common en- enemy to rally against. Right. So I, it could I be doing that. Is, I'm sure it is the it latter. Is. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the proles are the lowest class of society. They greatly outnumber the number of party members. But because, I mean, it even says when it reads the portion of, like, the book mm-hmm. that proles are never in the conversation because they would never be able to stand against the party. Right. Even they, though they outnumber them. Even though they outnumber but them. But they're, they're uneducated. They... Yep. They're probably weak because yeah. they're, you know, live they, in poverty, underfed. Yeah. And they haven't been raised to, like, want more than their current circumstances. That's just not yeah. what society and they're teaches not, them. Even if it yeah. sort of neglects them, it doesn't... It, yeah. It doesn't instill any, like... Oh, but you should want better. Yeah, it doesn't, and they don't have an idea of their oppression, really, because, Mm -hmm. from our perspective, I guess, uh, because they're not monitored, Mm -hmm. and they're not restricted, and I think that the lack of restriction makes them feel like they might even be better off than the party members. Right. So... Yeah, why would they want to rise up higher? Because the next level is an outer party member, and they don't have it that great. Yeah, the outer party <laughs> members really kind of have it worse. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean. Ways, I, I think so. But. Yes. So, yeah, there you are. <laughs> Major plot points, folks. Okay, so first we meet Winston. He's, as we've said, our protagonist. And we are also introduced to the figure Big Brother at the same time. So Winston is walking to his apartment building. He describes, like, the the big posters that he sees of Big Brother plastered everywhere, um, just as a constant reminder that Big Brother is watching. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get a glimpse of the living conditions uh, that Winston is in and uh, everyone else in the outer party class of society. So he lives in a... a apartment complex called Victory Mansions. They just really like to pump up those They really do. They They really do. (laughs) So these Victory Mansions are uh, very dilapidated and run down. Um, There's an elevator that is essentially disabled and the electricity is often cut off for uh, power preservation purposes. So not 
not sounding super victorious and luscious to me, but mm. whatever. Um, and then we get a scene where Winston helps his neighbor with a plumbing issue, and it's implied that this is a common occurrence. Um, this lovely neighbor and her, as I roll my eyes, lovely children. Oh, uh, yeah. They're awful. They're <laughs> so awful. It's like the the one glimpse we get of any children is the scene where he goes over to the neighbors, and they're just shits. Yeah. I mean, they. I think one of them even throws something at Winston and hits him. Well, and isn't the... So, the the woman that he's helping, she has a husband, mm-hmm. but he's not home. He's he's working. Yeah. He's always working. And, and so he she, works with Winston. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but for some reason, Winston has different hours, and so she yeah. has Winston help yeah. fix things. But I feel like she was just constantly making sort of, like, backhanded comments. Mm-hmm. And maybe I can't even think of one specifically. That's just the... Maybe that's just the vibe I remember. <laughs> yeah, she. it definitely is a vibe of her, like, tiptoeing around her children. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they do, like, report. Like, children report their parents all the time for being thought criminals. So she's just, like, really meek and, like, yeah. mousy, kind Those of. Those turds are, like, running around being like, you're a thought criminal, you're yeah. a thought criminal. It's like, that's... Hey, whoa, whoa. That's life and death, bitch. Right, you can't be just throwing that around. (laughs) Yeah, one interesting thing that I marked when I was annotating this was the description of Winston that we get in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Winston is 39 years old. And the description of Winston is a smallish, frail figure, the meagerness of his body merely emphasized by the blue overalls. His hair was very fair, his face naturally sanguine, his skin roughened by coarse soap and blunt razor blades and the cold of the winter. He sounds like an old man. Yeah. Like small, frail, meager. Yes. At 30... And that's how he starts. That's how he starts the book. And it it gets worse. It gets but it worse. it doesn't sound like it could possibly. <laughs> At 39, I just... When I think of a 39-year-old man, I don't think of someone who is small and frail. Oh. But, I mean, that that's... We're thinking of, like, a well-nourished yes, 39-year-old that, man. Winston has been in the trenches He's for little, all of his life. Living on that victory gin <laughs> to fill his belly. And clearly it does not have anti-aging properties. <laughs> No, there's it, no victory in this gin, just like there's no victory in these mansions. Okay? No, exactly. It. Oh, man. Yeah, I just couldn't stop thinking about it for a good portion of reading this. Like, I keep mm-hmm. thinking of Winston, and I'm like, have to remind myself, he's only 39. Yeah. He's only 39 years old. When I'm 39, I'm going to look exactly like I look now. God, I hope I do. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's only seven years from now. Yeah. Oh, 39 is four years away for me. We're going to look exactly the same. (laughs) And, I mean, I don't think anyone would describe either of us as frail or meager. Y'all better not. (laughs) Bitch. Come on. (laughs) Okay. So, this scene where he... Before he goes to help the neighbors is when we see the journal. Mm. 
So Winston starts writing in a journal. He's had this journal for a while. He bought it at a pearl shop because it was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So this is really the catch-22 of the world he lives in. So technically, it's not illegal to own the journal or to write in it. But that's because there are no actual laws in Oceana. The party is so omnipotent that it doesn't need laws. Mm -hmm. The diary would certainly be a thought crime and punished by either death or time in a forced labor camp. So... Which <laughs> which is, it's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy to, like, conceptualize that because our society is built entirely on laws. Right. Right, so. Well, and it's funny, they're like, there are no laws, but there are crimes. Yeah. How can there be crimes without a law? Yeah. A crime is breaking a law. Yeah. But that's one of those... That's a double thing. I was going to say, it's one of those double things. It's one yeah. of those contradictions that you just... It is. Oh, yeah, this society is so great. They don't have rules for... There's no laws. Yeah. Except for... Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's... Winston's apartment is weird because the telescreen... There's a part of his apartment um, that... He said the buildings were built in, like, the 1930s, so this is 1984. We're looking at, like, what, like, 50-year-old buildings. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of his apartment that's, like, an alcove that he has, like, a table and a chair sitting in that is out of view of the telescreen. And so this is where he's sitting to write in this journal. And this is unusual because most of, I would say most of the time, all of the time... The telescreens can see every inch of the yeah. room that they are supposed to be in. So the fact right. that he even has this little secret alcove, like, somebody missed something. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. did they? Right. <laughs> exactly. So he's sitting at this table with the journal, trying to figure out what he's going to write in it. He's been working up to this all day. Mm-hmm. He's going to go home and he's going to write in this journal. Mm-hmm. And he writes a story about a parole woman, I think. At some point he does. I don't remember. I don't remember the first story he tells. Here, get that. Get those good ASMR. <laughs> Book pages. <laughs> uh. Oh, it was a, the night at the flicks, um, like the war films, and like oh, how yeah, yeah, yeah. women and children were being shot down. And mm, this mm-hmm. was not meant to be a tale of woe; it was meant to be a tale of victory. But then yeah. after that, the next story he tells is of that that parole woman. Yeah, that he has a romp a, with. A romp with. Ah, <laughs> uh, that scene is. The gaping, like, the way that he <sighs> describes her and her makeup and her gaping mouth without teeth. Like, it's very unsettling. And it's sad. It's it's super sad and also really repulsive. Yes. I, I have a real, like, visceral reaction to the no teeth thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if something happened to me in my youth. From or something, but when someone doesn't have any teeth, it really, really bothers me. I know that it's just a thing. 
I know some people just don't have teeth and they don't have the money to fix it because dental work is really expensive. Yeah. But I, it horrifies me. And I just can't help it. Well, and the way that it's described is just... It's it's bad. It's one of those moments that is given in great detail. It is. There isn't a lot of stuff all the time that is given in extreme detail. But this is one of the scenes that is... Right. It's it's really horrific. And she's like... She's a sex worker. Um, But what's weird... So Oceana discourages, like recreational sex Mm -hmm. their thing is sex should be procreational period period and And only between only between the husband and wife and their goal is to eliminate sex entirely and do artificial insemination to keep their population going they do not they don't want you catching feelings if they even get a whiff that people have feelings for each other they won't Right. Approve the marital match. Mm-hmm. They purposely try to match you with someone that you are not. You're not into. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ugh. Yeah. What? A, just the existence. <laughs> it sounds like the absolute worst. Because mm-hmm. it is. Because <laughs> it is. And when we say it's graphic, we're not talking about the sex. It's no. just the setting, his feelings, his description of her, his you know, the mix between that, you know, deep primal need and knowing that what he's doing is not allowed, but mm-hmm. going through with it anyway, even though he's slightly repul- repulsed by her. Like, it's just... Yeah. It's just... It's just a... It, it's just such a rough scene, but it's very yeah. thought-provoking at the same time. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's wild, but... um so, yeah, so Winston writes in his journal. He also writes uh, down with Big Brother repeatedly in the journal, which mm. is, <laughs> But as he That's says, big no. yeah, as he says, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference whether he thinks it or writes it. It's a thought crime either way. Right. And he's already so, got the journal. He's, he's already, already got the journal. He's already committed the thought crime. Yeah. He might he, as well get it off his Exactly. <laughs> he's fucked either way. Right. Sadly, but true. Oop. Um, and then we get a scene um, where Winston is at work, um, and he'll tell us about his job, you know, rewriting history as, as things change and as the narrative needs to be corrected and then forgotten that it's corrected. It is just truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he has a co-worker, O'Brien, um, and so there's a specific mention of him and O'Brien kind of making eye contact. And Winston just gets this instant feeling that O'Brien could be like kind of a kindred spirit or like understand him. Mm-hmm. So he just instantly gets this feeling like, O'Brien, I, I feel like he could be someone who would feel the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. And this really sticks with him just from this one look. He yeah. Can't, he can't let it go. Um, and they have, they have like a, it's called a two minute hate. It's, you know, a video of Big Brother talking about the, uh, is it the Brotherhood? Yeah. Um, and just basically ramping and the, you know, the war and stuff. But I think it's mostly this, in this scene, it's about the Brotherhood Mm -hmm. and just ramping up people getting a mad 
to hate the Brotherhood. Yeah. In my mind, it's like they're just giving people an outlet for their rage at Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. But they're pinning it on the Brotherhood, you know, who is this faction that's trying to tear apart the party. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because the party's the good guys. Right. Sure. Um, but and during this, he Winston notices, like, a couple rows back, there's this woman, Julia... He gets an instant feeling from her, but he actually is concerned that perhaps she is thought police. Not mm-hmm. He doesn't get a good vibe from her at right. first. Right. What's interesting about when he notices Julia is he instantly doesn't like her. And then it talks about how he doesn't like most women. Mm-hmm. And a little farther down the page, it goes into why he doesn't like most women and why he doesn't like Julia. And it's because he wants them sexually and could never have them. Right. Winston has a lot of anger and not just towards women, but mm -hmm. he does have a lot of violent thoughts. He does. Yeah. Which I don't know if it's just the oppression of the society that gives People that, yeah. you know, pent up rage. Mm-hmm. But they they almost, sometimes, like, they fall in line with what's happening. And then other times it just, like, feels like they come out of nowhere. It's like, yeah. you want to, we went from that to bashing someone's face in with a rock mm-hmm. in your brain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, after he, he leaves work after the same day, I think it's the same day, that he notices O'Brien and Julia, and yeah. they have the two minutes hate. Yeah. And then he goes back to the parole shop that he got the journal from and has a chat with the shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. What I was think- his name? Ooh. Frick. It starts with a C. Does it? Sam I don't know. J. Oh, so, shit. Mr. Charrington. Aha. Excellent. So Mr. Got him. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Mr. Charrington is the shop owner. Mm-hmm. So he chats with him and he gives him like a little piece of coral in like a little like glass sphere or something. It's like a preserved piece of coral. Yeah, yeah, because they go check out the room above mm-hmm. the shop. The room, yeah, there's like a room above the shop that is empty. Mr. Mm-hmm. Charrington doesn't like live there. Mm-mm. Yeah. But but it's it's got to be, I think Mr. Charrington used to live there. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but there's like a painting and yeah, this like just this paperweight that just has this simple beauty that Winston is very drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I, he gives it to him. Yeah. But he instantly knows that he can't, he's not supposed to have it. Because yeah, yeah, anything that's going to elicit a positive or like an emotional response is, the party doesn't want you to have that. Yeah, it's squashed. Because that could incite you to feel other things. Yeah. Like hate for the party. <laughs> exactly. You might be more aware of your own suffering. Yeah. So he finds the room above the shop, and um, I don't know if it's this point where he starts using it. Not yet. He, he doesn't he, do that until he's with Julia. Right. But yeah. he, he sees it, and he gets the idea, like... It would be nice to live in this room because there's no telescreen. Right. Like, how right. freeing would that be? Exactly. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so then Winston gets a note from Julia. 
which I thought this was, like, really random and out of yeah. the blue. Yeah. But Julia gives Winston a note that just says, I love you. Not let's talk, let's meet. Yeah. It says, I love you. Yeah. So he he does incinerate the note. Yes. Yeah. He puts it in the hole. His reaction, though, is, is very intense. Like, yeah. Goes from, like, despising this woman to this instant... Um, erratic almost like like spike a, of hope yeah like a like a really like an insatiable need to like see her yeah and to see her and talk to her in a way where other people won't hear mm-hmm. like privately duh yeah. that's the word yeah. <laughs> um and all of those words work <laughs> yeah so they inevitably begin a secret affair yeah. I mean, that's just where this is going, obviously. <laughs> and they, she actually takes him out to like a field yeah. or some yeah, part. Like a beautiful field yeah. with like, isn't there a pool of water? I think there's some water there. Like, yeah. Maybe I just made that up because if there's a beautiful field, then there's also a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. So they're out there hanging and they start meeting at the. In the room above the shop. Mm-hmm. And that's where they, like, do their thing. She smuggles in, like, black market goods. Like, she brings, like, real chocolate. He's never actually had real chocolate. She yeah. brings real coffee. Does she get these things from inner party members that she's kind of had previous relationships with? I think so. I that's think the so. gist that I get, that's, anyway. That is what I gut as well so yeah they have like it really stood out to me because they he has real coffee for the first time mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god what would life be like if you've never like i guess you wouldn't know because you've never had it right. but i just drink so much coffee every <laughs> day it would be what if you were, like, older? Like, once in 39, what if you were, like, in your 50s and you lived... You remember coffee. You remember real coffee. Yeah, it's taken from you. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'd be closing that window. They close the window because they don't want other people to smell it. I'd be closing it to hog all the smells. I know. Hot box. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hot box, that coffee smell. Yep. <laughs> and Winston is sure that they will be caught and punished sooner or later. Yeah, he doesn't have any false notions. He, no. He knows that this is not going to yeah. happen. Yeah, and he, I mean, he knows it even, like, from the first couple pages when he's talking about the diary. He's doomed already. He knows. Mm-hmm. He's he's doomed from the beginning. Yep. And Julia seems a little more optimistic. And I don't know if hopeful is a word I would use to describe anything in this book, but no. she seems a little bit more... Um, optimistic slightly yeah she's like well because i think she's like yeah we'll probably get caught but don't worry about that let's just and live yeah. and enjoy now rather yeah. than worrying about when we die right right and winston and julia they continue their affair and he you know he he loves her in his way mm-hmm. um, you know and i think that relationship and that sort of like little freedom he feels mm-hmm. when he's in the room above the pearl shop is what makes him really 
reject and hate the party as the book goes on. Yeah. Which is interesting because he has those feelings, but I think because he has someone to share it with, Mm. then he doesn't feel the need to write in his journal anymore. And he's actually, like, almost more content at work. In a way, like, he he doesn't mind the work, like, maybe because he has something to look forward to, yeah. to meet up with Julia or whatever. So, even though his hatred grows, it's just funny how his, like, outlet for that shifts. Like, he, like I said, doesn't have to write in the journal anymore and isn't so, like, internally tormented. It's like he has someone he can share those thoughts with now mm-hmm. and, like, have a bit of glimmer of, eh, joy seems too strong, but... A bit of happiness and yeah. contentment with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, so I just thought that was interesting. The, yeah, that's super interesting. And there's also the idea of someone cares about you. Someone exists out there that cares whether or not you are alive. Mm-hmm. Because he's alone, essentially. Like, yeah. he had a wife at one point, but... It was a very cold relationship. It, yeah. And she disappeared. And he doesn't seem to know where she went. <laughs> So we don't, she's never in, she's never on page. No. I don't think so. she was disappeared like, you know. Right. She was bad and dis- and was vanished. But mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, she just, she probably yeah. went off and found someone to actually make some babies with. Yeah. To do so. her duty to the party. Yes. So it, he, you know, there was no love there and his, he doesn't. He was separated from his parents when he was like nine, mm, his mother yeah. and sister. Yeah. And oh, so. The story about him with his mother and when they're hungry mm-hmm. and he's like greedy. Yeah. And his mother and sister are starving. And like that, ooh, that was so hard for me to read. Like that, like literally made my stomach just like twist. It made me so sick. It was, it was really sad. It's really sad to read. But. He hasn't seen either of them since he was, like, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And so for 30 years, essentially, he has been alone living in this world, Mm -hmm. and no one cares about him. And so I think Julia is filling that role a little bit. She, you know. Filling that that ache, that hole. Yeah. So he's more content because there's someone on the world that cares that he exists. Yeah. And they're also sort of being rebellious in their right, relationship, right. too. So it kind of... It, yeah. Sticking it to the man. Exactly. At the same time. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, after as this affair is going on, right, O'Brien then wants to see him. He gets a, a note from O'Brien, and O'Brien wants to see him and Julia. Yeah. He's like, hey. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> And I don't even know if O'Brien wants to see him and Julia, but he definitely wants to see him. Yeah. And then so Julia set yeah. up the meeting to meet at O'Brien's home. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's O'Brien's house. Oh yeah, they do it under the um they do it under the guise of like they talk in the cafeteria or whatever and he's like, Oh, have you gotten the new Newspeak book edition. Oh, mm-hmm. come to my house. Yes. And I'll give it to you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then um, Winston goes to O'Brien's, but he brings Julia with him, mm-hmm. which I don't know that O'Brien was expecting. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he has them come in and he actually turns his telescreen off 
inner party members are allowed to do it 30 minutes a day. Yeah. That's a lot of trust. You can do a lot of things in 30 minutes. Heck yeah, you can. Hmm. So, he has them come over, turns off the telescreen, and he confirms to Winston and Julia that, like them, he hates the party. Um, And he actually tells them that he works against it as a member of the Brotherhood. Um, He kind of questions them and like to see how true how um severe their dedication would be to the brotherhood were they to join and uh he indoctrinates winston and julia into the brotherhood um at some time later it's not immediately but probably like within a week or two then um winston receives the book which um, is, like, the Brotherhood Manifesto. He's meant to, like, have it for maybe, like, a week, two weeks. Yeah. And then he has to return it. Mm-hmm. So, um, Winston... So, but, yeah, so Winston gets the book, um, and uh, he starts to read it to Julia. Yes, he does. So he reads the book, which is kind of a mashup of several forms of class-based 20th century social theory. And so he's reading it to Julia while they're in the room above the store. And while he's reading it, they're they're in bed, he's reading it to her. I think she falls asleep. Yeah. And he's about to get to the point of the book where they're like, why all of this works is because... And then he puts the book down. Who does that? What? What? Sorry. uh, What a... (laughs) What a dumb. It really bothered me. Yeah, what a dumb. <laughs> at this point, a telescreen that they didn't know was in the room starts yelling at them. Oh, my God. Dun, dun, dun. That's, that, like, when they started hearing voice, I was like, no. 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 <laughs> yeah. So the thought police storm in, and lo and behold, Mr. Charrington, I think that's what we said his name was, mm-hmm. he is... A member of the Thought Police. Dun, dun, dun! And what's interesting is when he comes in and they're, like, apprehending Winston and Julia, Winston describes how different Mr. Charrington looks. Yeah. Because he, whenever he was the shop owner, he was, he was like, an old man who had, like, gray hair, and he was a little stooped. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes in as the Thought Police member, he's standing very erect. He doesn't have any gray hair. He's got dark hair. Mm-hmm. He looks much younger. Mm-hmm. They, he doesn't have nearly any wrinkles on his face. He looks young and healthy. Yeah. And it's just so strange. Not once. I was suspicious of everybody, you guys. Everybody. Julia, I was like... I was suspicious of Julia. This is a trap. She might have a good fun time with you, but this is a trap. Yeah, yeah. Um, When O'Brien wanted to meet with him, I was like, this is a trap. I knew O'Brien. It's a trap. I don't believe him for one hot second. No. Absolutely not. I did not believe O'Brien from the jump. For not one millisecond did I think that that... Sweet shop owner with the cool stuff. Yeah. Was a party member. I just didn't think about him at all, to be honest, which is the point of the Thought Police, obviously. But, yeah, I didn't give the shop owner a second thought. I was just like, okay, whatever, sure. Bye. Um, But, yeah, uh, 
O'Brien, total giveaway. Knew it, knew it, knew yeah. that was a setup. Yeah. But I did think Julia was in on it. Yeah. I thought we were going to get told whenever Winston is in the Ministry of Love mm-hmm. and he's, like, in the cell with all the other people. I mm-hmm. thought that when he was going to get questioned, it would be O'Brien and Julia. Yeah. Because he saw them together the for the first time. The first time he saw both of them, they were together. Yeah. So I just assumed that yeah. Julia was going to be with O'Brien. I think once they got caught and her reaction to it, I was like, okay, yeah, no. Yeah. She's she's not part of this. Yeah. I, I had given that up at that point. Yeah. Um, Whew. Yeah. It, shocking. <laughs> so Julia and Winston are both taken to the Ministry of Love um, and imprisoned. Winston is starved, tortured, and as we just said, finds out that O'Brien was actually a spy for the party and had set Winston and Julia up. Why? I just have so many questions. It's like, why let them go on so long? Mm-hmm. Why give them? Why give him the book in the first place? Like, mm-hmm. why? I know. But you actually had a really good theory. The why? <laughs> I I did have a theory. I don't know how good it is, but I had I this thought. Right. <laughs> Siri, don't eavesdrop. Oh. Oh, we've got telescreens we right? carry with us. Yeah, we think we're free, y'all. We are not. We are. Nay, nay. <laughs> question it all. Question it all. I'll give my theory at the end. Okay. Yeah. I'll give my theory like at the that. end. Leaving you on a suspenseful cliffhanger. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, it was, it was, that, that, that really hit me. But. Yes. And then, like you said, at the when he first gets there, he's actually in a room that he stays in there for a while, but there's, like, a revolving door of, like, mm-hmm. sometimes there's ten other people in the room with him. Sometimes there's only one. Mm-hmm. And different people are in there for different reasons. Some of them you find out. Some of them you don't. Mm-hmm. There was that scene where the one guy who just was, like, skin and bones, like, he was literally called, like, a living skeleton and... Um, Another prisoner had a crumb of bread in his pocket and still the tiny little mustard seed of kindness in him wanted to give that man a crumb of bread and then he got beat to crap for it. Mm -hmm. And then and then you find out how broken that skeleton man is because then they come in. And they're about to take him away. And he's like, kill my family, kill my children. I don't care. Just don't take me to that room. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a rough scene. It is. It's This is when it gets really, really harsh. Yeah. And it, this is also where we find out that Winston's neighbor mm-hmm. was turned into the thought police by his child. Yep. And uh, guess what? He didn't even say anything while conscious, guys. He was... Asleep. Mm-hmm. Asleep. Anything you say while you're asleep is fair game for the thought police. Yep. Thought crimes. Thought crimes. Bro said, now, I don't I don't know how you s- say it without even think, knowing you feel it, but he said, down with big brother in mm-hmm. his sleep. Mm-hmm. And his little spy brat of a child turned him in. Yep. But he was so indoctrinated to the party that he was like, I'm actually proud of her. Yeah. For turning me in. Yeah. I'm glad they caught me before I, you know. Did something worse. Right. Whatever. Yeah. I'll just go to a labor camp for a little while and then I'll get I'll get to go home. Like, I'm glad they're going to fix me. 
this man is fully buying in. He's yeah, he's he's fully in. He's drank the Kool-Aid yes. as they say. And this is before Winston experiences any torture. This is Right. This is the and he's really just anticipating it. Right. I was going to say, which could be, like, the initial psychological torture, watching all these people come yeah. out. And the revolving. see what is to await him. Yeah. And that really, other than being starved, mm-hmm. that's that's it. But he's, we also don't know how long he's in there. He's in there for an undefined amount of time, but it has to be months. Yeah, and because at first, the first few days when he's in with all those other people, like, he's like, I think it's been 12 hours. I don't know if I was arrested in the morning or at night, though, so it's got to be at least, it's been 36 hours. Yeah. It's been 72 hours. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, eventually he just has no clue. Because obviously he's in a cell. There are no windows. He's not seeing the day. Like, Mm -mm. you know, he can't log the days by the sun. No, he doesn't know if he's underground, above ground. Yeah. In, in an air airship, like he has no idea. He has where no he idea is. who where he is. Nope. We do get a description of him. He sees himself at one point in a mirror. Yes, after a lot after of severe torture. A lot after the severe torture, which is like they like electrocute him and like all kinds Kick, of shit. They, punch, yeah, it's beat, it's pull just, out teeth. Yeah, oh. yeah. So. At the at the point where he sees himself, he is super emaciated, even more so than he already was at the beginning. Yeah. So he's like emaciated, his hair's fallen out, and he has lost most of his teeth. Oh, most of his teeth. I think he has like a like three teeth left, yeah. and so he he's fucked. <laughs> He's not fun. He's 39 and he doesn't have his hair or his teeth. No. Stop it. So O'Brien brings him in for questioning. Mm -hmm. So they they let Winston just be in the cell getting beaten and starved for so long before they even talk to him. Yeah. And, and I think even O'Brien kind of sways back and forth between behaving like an enemy and then saying or doing something where Winston convinces himself, oh, O'Brien's here to protect me. Yes. Like, it's very strange. It's a, it's a very weird dynamic. And um, O'Brien is questioning him, but really, he's not necessarily questioning him he is trying to get at what's in his head because O'Brien knows everything he did. Right. Because they heard and saw everything he did and said. Mm -hmm. But the real nugget that they're trying to get is how he feels for Julia. Mm -hmm. So the goal is for Winston to let go of what he feels for Julia and replace that with loving Big Brother. That's the goal. Yeah. And and the way that they want him to give up his love for Julia is to give her up. Mm-hmm. Right. So they even tell Winston that Julia gave him up. Yeah. Like, Julia gave you up already. And I didn't understand what that meant until it happens. And and, yes. Like, okay. Until That's it happens. That's what it means yes. to give them up. Okay. Exactly. He, but he is still holding on to loving Julia 
they kind of made a pact. Like, yeah, we're I know we're going to get caught, but I, I won't give you up. Yeah. You know, whether their love was true or deep or, you know, surface, because uh, these people don't really know what love is. Right. Because they haven't been taught or experienced it. Yes. So they loved each other in the way that they knew how. Yes. And just knew that... Even if, because at one point he even says, I don't, I say that I love her, but I don't feel it. But he's still holding on to it in his mind, you know, Mm -hmm. to the idea of it, Mm -hmm. I guess. But yeah, it's like, but that was one thing that they said, I won't give you up. Right. He's holding, he, he's trying to hold out, but O'Brien tells him, Julia gave you up already. Mm -hmm. But he still won't give her up. Yeah. Even after that. Yeah. So, um... They seem to stop torturing him for a while. Because he talks about, like, getting a little stronger and mm-hmm. looking a little better. Gaining a little weight. Like, they actually give him, like, real food. Yeah. And then they have... He, he continues talking to O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And then, eventually, it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. It's the make-or-break moment. And there's the one, the, the one room... Room 101. I was going to say, room 101. And you hear about this back when he's in the cell with all the people. Mm -hmm. It's like the place you don't want to go. The man, the skeletal man that was like, take my children, murder my Mm -hmm. wife. I don't care. Don't take me. He was begging not to go to room 101. Yeah. O'Brien obviously sends Winston to room 101. Duh. This is the last breaking test. Yep. But we're never actually told what's in room 101. So I believe, and maybe they say this, maybe they leave us to infer it. Room 101 is where they um, subject you to your worst fear. So for yes. everyone, room 101 is different. Is different. But it will 100% contain the thing that you fear more than anything else. Yeah. Which is an interesting concept because I don't know if there's one specific thing that I fear more than anything else. Right. I know. I, I if I if I had to nail something down, I've mm-hmm. always like had a healthy fear of spiders, mm-hmm. but I don't know that putting me in a room full of spiders would make me like break right. necessarily. Right. But they monitor these people 24 7 so yes even if you don't know it they know they'll it learn yeah. it for you i think yeah you know but true even winston's fear i don't think that he fully understands why because when he sees one earlier on he's like i can't even pinpoint the moment or the the story why i just know that yeah you know makes his skin crawl yeah sure so yeah What's his fear, you ask? Mm. Rats. It's rats. Rats. Gross rats. I don't like rats either. And there's a scene, I cannot believe I'm about to reference this. <laughs> there's a scene in Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, I was not expecting it. That's a real plot twist. Yes. I told you you weren't expecting it. Where there is a man who has... I, I can't remember if he betrayed his boss or whatever. Mm. The, the man done did something bad. And Ooh. so they take him, take his shirt off. They put a bucket on his stomach and they put a rat under the bucket. 
And, like, while he's laying there, they're like, you know, a rat will dig any way it can to get out of this confined space. And the way it's going to dig out is through you. Oh, that stuck with me. Oh, that's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, really brutal for a movie like that. The movie about cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... They're about so much more than cars. Oh, yeah. Okay, let me tell you, I do not... I'm not an avid fan of these films. I The ones that I have seen were just purely out of, hey, we're watching it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I have not finished the series. Um, I have, yeah, that, that scene in that movie actually really stuck with me. You don't... I mean, they don't... If the camera gets... It's not like, you know, it's not like a horror movie where we yeah, see it, like, yeah, rip yeah. him to bits, and I think eventually he gets the rat off him but it's a pretty intense scene at yeah. least for me it was <laughs> sounds intense it's giving me like edgar Allan poe pit in the pendulum sort yeah, of yeah, vibes yeah, actually yeah. um which is what this scene in 1984 made me think of too i thought of edgar mm-hmm. Allan poe immediately but so yeah rats bro um i don't have any particular feelings about rats if i'm being honest i mean i don't love the idea of a rat and i don't probably don't want it on me but i wouldn't say i'm like scared of rats they're too smart for their own good yeah (laughs) i worked at a pet store and um i would have to you know change out water bottles and whatnot and the rat enclosure like when i would come to change the water they would sit on top of it like they knew i didn't want to touch them Mm. so they would sit on there and make me have to touch because i'd have to move them to get the water bottle out yeah yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I mix it because I, I think that they can be cute, but there's something about their tails that just really freaks me out. I can't explain it. Yeah. I don't have a fear of rats, but I just, I just don't care for them. They're yeah. not a pet I would choose. The same. No. But I do think that they're smart, but they're also, I think that like any animal, they can be vicious. Yeah. So yeah. I just steer clear if I can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know that I would have any pet that small, to be honest. Mm. I love dogs. I would have almost any dog. Yeah. I know a lot of people have, like, breed preferences or, like, only get a certain breed of dog, which I think is insane. Yeah. But um, if it's a dog, I'll let it. I'll love it no matter what. But... I don't love cats. Mm-hmm. I've never been a cat person. There have been a like three cats in my life that I've liked <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. but I never enough to own one. I did have a cat once before we got April, and it was a horrible <laughs> devil animal. I swear. Um, we ended up giving it to an old lady who lived in our apartment complex. I'm sure they're very happy together. I'm I'm sure they're lovely together. I hated that cat. But I do like, like, large animals. Like, Mm -hmm. I really like goats. They're very cute. (laughs) And um, I love cows and horses. Like, farm animals, I guess, is what I'm saying. I like farm animals. Chickens Um, freak me out. Yeah, I don't love chickens. Uh, Birds, in general, kind of freak me out. Um, Jury's, like, brood of chickens one time, like truthfully like crowded and chased me almost like a little horde of zombies and it really freaked me whoa, out whoa that is wild i wasn't like running from them <laughs> yeah. but i got the feeling if i did start to run that they would they chase you yes <laughs> oh, i was chi- not a fan yeah i don't love chicken i don't love birds but, like goats, but... horses mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They're they're all great. I would have all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to actively seek out a bunch of farm animals. Yeah. I also don't live on a farm, so it's not really possible. <laughs> but I, if somebody was like, "Hey, we have this baby calf, and its mom abandoned it. You want it? Do you want it?" I would say, "Yes, please. I'll take that baby little calf." Yeah, they're so cute. And you bottle feed them. Like, we had a bobby calf when I was young. Mm-hmm. We had a ton of animals when I was young. My stepmom was an intense animal lover. Mm-hmm. And so we had dogs, cats. We had an owl once. We had raccoons. That's we had a so squirrel. Um, we had a bobby calf. We had a mule. We had a goat. We had turkeys. Chickens. Ducks, guineas. I like ducks. I think ducks are cool. Cute the way they like and they like follow each other. Oh, ducks are really cool. They're so cute. But yeah, we had so many animals growing up. We lived in the country, and it was just sometimes they just appear, especially like (laughs) uh, squirrels and raccoons. Mm -hmm. If they're if they fall out of like their little nest or whatever. They would just die. So yeah. it's a, an instance where, like, we would find them and bring them back and uh, nurse them until they just left, you yeah. know, when they got older. Yeah. But, yeah, we had, we probably raised like, four or five raccoons in my youth. Wow. <laughs> they're very cool animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, they love marshmallows. And their little hands are so, they're so cute. I love an animal I think has precious hands is otters. Oh yeah, they do. They do. Fingers and their little fingernails. Like, are you kidding? They're so they're so cute. I just yeah. So we had all the animals, but I would never have like a small animal. Like never a a mouse or a rat or a guinea pig. No, no. They're just they just smell. You know, it's just not for me. Gerbils, no. And April would eat them probably. So. Yeah, yeah. They're very eatable, you know. Yes, they're 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 a bite size. Yes, yes. <laughs> Critter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she would. It would not. Yeah. It would not be cool. Yeah. But you know, we're we're a dog family. Yeah. I guess from here on out. Yeah. We're a dog family. Us too. Well, as we left you on that cliffhanger, <laughs> <laughs> just dangling there. <laughs> so rats are his fear. So they take a rat, and did they, and I don't remember specifically, did they put it in a cage on his head? Yes. Woof. Not on the belly, on the head. In your face. In your face. (laughs) He is so terrified, so mortified, so filled with fear that he gives up Julia. And by this, it means, he says, kill her, take her, put the rat on her head. Yeah. Let, you know, let, let me out of here. Basically, yep. take my torture and put it on her. That's what it means to give someone up. To completely yep. not care what happens to them for your own, to save your own skin. That's essentially it. Wow. He, I think his verbatim words are, do it to Julia instead. Yes. Yeah. And it, he, and it's seconds. Yeah, he doesn't last seconds. long. He, he's, he even talks about like holding out and torture and other aspects where he's like you know i won't tell them unless i absolutely can't stand it anymore some some sessions he would tell them right away but it was just admitting to 
anything and everything, whether he did it or didn't do it, just anything that he could think of to make the torture stop. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's interesting that some days he would choose to hold out, and some days he would choose to just say it right away, but never giving up Julia until mm-hmm. this moment. Yeah. Yep. So he gives her up. Mm. This is kind oh, this is basically the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do see this is Winston reformed, right? He gets released. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to his job and his apartment and his life. And I mean, he sees Julia. She's out too. Mm-hmm. And they chat, but neither one of them have any inclination to rekindle their relationship mm-hmm. or anything. All it's the, just all the anything is stamped out of it's them. Gone. They're just they're yep. just walking ghosts yep. at this point. They're just they've been emptied. Yeah, that's a yeah. So perfect way to put it. The, and that's that's how the book ends. Yep. Well, it ends with Winston being finally killed, like he yeah. knew he was going to be. Yeah. And his last thoughts: I love Big Brother. Yep. I, because I think he even says it, and I can't remember if it's during torture or, like, a conversation with O'Brien. I was really hoping, because O'Brien was saying, like, you know, that's how they win. That's how the party wins. They stamp it out of you. Yeah. Um, Anything that is not loving Big Brother, like, they, you know, that, that they don't kill people in the midst of their rebellion they reform them back first Mm -hmm. they get them to fully commit to the party and then they kill them they don't want any martyrs they don't want anyone Mm -hmm. dying because that they say that's why other regimes prior failed because they would make martyrs and then people would rise up Mm -hmm. you know tenfold in their place you know for justice and so they would do it quietly and basically yeah turn you to love the thing that you hate and uh, there was just I knew it wasn't going to but there was just a glimmer of hope in me that I was like I hope his last thought is I still hate big brother or whatever and that would just because he even says he was like you know if I if I shout that or if I say that in the last moment after the the gun's already been shot and it's too late for them to take it back that would be my last act of rebellion you mm-hmm. know? But he doesn't get that they get him they get him they get him and he dies genuinely loving Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. It's so insane. Yeah. It's so insane. It's not happy at all. <laughs> yeah. No part of this book is hopeful or optimistic yeah. or happy ending. No, Not even, like, bittersweet. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's just bleak. It's a warning. It's it's a warning for sure. It's a warning. It's a s- full warning on the dangers of uh, totalitarianism, of censorship, of monitoring, you know. Because I don't believe it just happens overnight. It starts small. Oh, yeah, certainly. Definitely small. And I think one of the things that we could find really applicable from this would be Newspeak. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the main ways that the party controls their their group, mm-hmm. their underlings, is the is language. Because Newspeak is the language. They speak English, but Newspeak is a version of English. And the point is to simplify the language so much that it narrows the range of thought. 
if there's not a word for something, then you can't think something. Mm -hmm. So if the only words that you know are party ideology, then that's all you can think. Mm -hmm. Especially once you get to a generation where they don't remember normal English. All they know is newspeak. Exactly. That is their, that will be their perfect generation. Yes. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, they, the party clearly understands the power of language and thought. And if you control the language, you control the way people think. And if you control the way people think, you control them. Yep. So that's that's what they're doing. Um, Newspeak is so it's very weird, like yeah. to absorb <laughs> absorb yeah. the Newspeak. Yeah. Like it, it, the the words are simplified, but it actually it, my brain can't compute. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> it's more complicated. Yes. But in a narrowed version. Yeah. The the main example that they give is, like, the variations of good. So instead of having more, like, complex words, variations like bad, better, best, you just have ungood plus good, double plus good. How dumb does that sound? <laughs> it sounds so dumb. Some, so- and when you say this equals that, it's like, okay, I, I get it. That makes sense. But when they're saying it, in a sentence, and everything is newspeak. I'm like, mm-hmm. what gibberish did you just say? It's excuse me, pardon me, what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <that>? exactly. <laughs> it's so insane. Yeah. And then there's a term called double think, um, and we talked about it a little bit, but this is the the idea that you can believe two opposing things at the same time. So this is a method of political indoctrination that attempts to persuade subordinates to accept a reality that is at odds with their own memories. So, like, for example, they use this one a lot throughout the novel. Um, Two plus two equals four. In order to believe that this is true, you have to employ doublethink and uh, suspend your logic in order to accept it. You literally have to disregard what your eyes tell you about two plus two equaling five. And that is what Oceana and the party are requiring their citizens to do. They basically want you to believe something that you know to be false, and then simultaneously forgetting that it is false to begin with, telling yourself that it is an undeniable truth. Like, the act of those two things simultaneously is what doublethink is. Yeah. Knowing that it's untrue, but also forgetting that it's untrue and believing the new truth wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, so you're completely disregarding and like oftentimes disregarding what you're what you see mm-hmm. in order to accept and believe what you're being told. Yeah. It's true. That's it's crazy. And a true pro doesn't even think like, oh that's fake. They just They don't even question deep it. Deep down they know it, but they don't care. Yeah. They just know that what they're told is the truth and that's good enough for them. That's good enough for them. You also have the You have thought crime, which we've talked about. Um, The term describes thoughts that are considered uh, politically unorthodox, specifically doubts and thoughts that are contrary to the ideology of Oceana, uh, which the thought crime could be obviously thoughts, but also you can betray yourself as a thought criminal with your face, even just a look on your face. Mm Mm-hmm could betray you as a thought criminal. So there are so many times whenever they're like facing the telescreen that 
Winston describes uh, masking his facial features into one of just like bland, whatever. You're just neutral almost. I'd be screwed. My face says things. I don't even know what I'm thinking yet. Uh, he agreed. Same. It just snatched it, immediately. It just, <laughs> yeah. I would be betrayed instantly by my face. Yeah, so thought crime is what Winston and Julia were punished for. And anyone who's punished is punished as a thought criminal. Yeah. By the thought police. Yeah. Pretty self-explanatory. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> the one thing that's not confusing, the two things that make sense, a thought yeah. crime is punished by a thought policeman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then um, we, again, mentioned it earlier, but like very briefly. So um, there is this thing called the Two Minutes Hate. Um, it's a daily public period during which members of the outer party of Oceana must watch a film depicting the enemies of the state, um, specifically their figurehead, Emmanuel Goldstein, and his followers openly and loudly to express hatred for them. This is something that we see Winston and the other characters engaging in. Um, He is conscious of showing the hate he is displaying. Um, There is a fear in him, and likely everyone, that if he doesn't react to the video intensely enough, he'll be punished by the thought police. So he turns up the reaction and so does everyone around him. It makes you wonder if all the reactions to the two minute hate are faked or at least intentionally dialed up to 11 to avoid any questions or appearing like a Goldstein sympathizer. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, unless they're fully indoctrinated into thinking and truly believing it, then they're just genuinely able. I, I do truly wonder like how many people in that society are true believers and how many are just faking it mm-hmm. until they make it yeah. stay alive, you know? I bet it's kind of generational. The yeah. older people who remember life before the party probably fake it a lot more. Yeah. And Winston could be like a cusper, right? Mm-hmm. He was nine years old, so yeah. he vaguely remembers. But he also there's also the situation where you can't ever believe your own memory because you have nothing to to back up what your memory is telling you. Because everything's been rewritten. Everything's been rewritten. the narrative. You're not allowed to have photos or mementos of your youth or anything. You don't have anything. The only books that are available are ones written by... Yeah, the, the party books. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Winston doesn't can't remember his youth because he doesn't have anything to help him remember his youth. I mean, we all have anecdotes from our youth, but a lot of that probably, I mean, obviously we remember, we have memories, but a lot of that is bolstered by reinforced by photos we have maybe, or by stories that we hear from our parents Mm. or our siblings or whatever. So without something to reinforce your memory, Mm -hmm. you are going to constantly question whether or not, that's something you made up. I wonder that daily about, like, the thing I ate for lunch yesterday. I yeah. I remember. <laughs> I know. A it, lot of, you know, it's just, yeah. The memory is a sieve, you know? Yes, it is. So, um, well, I don't even remember why I was talking about his memory. Um, just talking about, like, people who are fully indoctrinated versus people ah, who yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. are... are, are Right. Faking it till they make it. Like you, like you said, like he's he could be a cusper because he was a child. But then it kind of makes 
me wonder Julia, like she must have had relationships with people who remember, you know, and right. she's experiencing these like pre party things or whatever, but yeah, she's not fully indoctrinated. Yeah. She's, she, but she would have been a generation that I believe would probably have been right. But it could have been still early stages. Right. Cause she's like yeah. in her early mid twenties. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They probably didn't have it perfected. Back, right. You know, so true. But like the guy who talked in his sleep, his kids mm-hmm. had snitched on him. Mm-hmm. Those kids are probably going to grow up and be fully indoctrinated. For sure. They got him. For sure. They, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, we talked about the telescreen. The memory hole is where, like, Winston puts documents after he's rewritten the records. Like, when they're at first, they're at war with East Asia, and then they switch, and they're at war with Eurasia, and he has Mm -hmm. to wipe it all clean. Mm -hmm. Because they've always been at war with Eurasia. And don't you dare think anything different. Absolutely not. There's nothing to say otherwise. The records show. It's always been Eurasia. Yep. You'd be spouting lies. So, yeah. All the incriminating shit goes in the memory hole, which is basically an incinerator. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Any pictures, books, anything. Mm -hmm. Especially anything contrary to the current truth. Those who control the present control the past. And those who control the past control control the future. future. Boom. Yep. Um, And then you have an unperson, which is basically someone who ceases to exist in society Um, They've been taken or killed, um, but you are not meant to speak of them and are basically supposed to act as if they never existed at all. Yep. Like one of Winston's co-workers who actually was like working on Newspeak and seemed like real into it, Mm -hmm. seemed fully on board. Mm -hmm. He's just unpersoned one day and Winston just knows he's not supposed to ask about like, oh, hey, where's so-and-so? You, they're absolutely not. Nope. You just pretend like you never knew him and move mm-hmm. on with your life. Wow. That's exactly right. He basically got memory hold. Yep. <laughs> vaporized, I think, is the term that they use. Yes, yeah. Which Assuming is. Assuming that they did vaporize. I mean, you really don't know. You don't know, yeah. Who knows? So that's basically like the thing. I guess I'll round out, I'll give my big theory on the book. <laughs> yes. I had this. Uh, epiphany uh, yesterday actually I think it was Um, I was going back through my book and annotating and it occurred to me we had kind of the question that we've been asking each other for the last several weeks of why they let Winston and Julia like carry on like they did because buying the diary alone he says is a thought crime they could have just nabbed him for the buying the diary and yeah we wouldn't have a story to tell right My theory kind of centers originally around his apartment. So he talks about how the telescreen is positioned to where there's a part of the room that is not monitored. And when I first read 1984, I thought I just accepted this information and thought, well, must have been a mistake. These are old pre-party buildings. They put the telescreen in, didn't even realize that this little sliver was unmonitored but then i started to think about how (laughs) how he winston carries on he ends up going through this whole process and they let him carry on for a while my thought process was that he could have just been set up from the beginning 
you know, maybe not because of who he was personally. Maybe it was. We don't know who his parents were or why they are disappeared. Mm -hmm. So that could play a factor, but that's just speculating. I think the apartment itself could have been set up to entrap someone. Mm -hmm. So the telescreen is placed and the party knows that there's a place that it doesn't see. And it's an experiment of if they can, when they place someone in that apartment, number one, are they going to figure out that there's a part unmonitored? Or are they so indoctrinated that they just accept they're watched all the time Mm -hmm. and don't even, like, try to find that? Yeah. So will they find the part that is not seen on the screen? And if they do find it, are they going to act on that? Are they going to take advantage of the fact that it's not monitored? Mm -hmm. And once they do, what are they going to do with that time? Mm -hmm. So they're, like, testing to find people who are potentially not fully in on the party. And then Winston, obviously, figures it out and does take advantage Mm -hmm. with the diary. And then they just let him carry on to see how far out... He can get Mm -hmm. to where they can still bring him back into conformity. Yeah. So they let him, because they know he gets the diary because he buys it from a thought police. (laughs) Yeah. And he, the thought police knows that him and Julia are going up to that room every day or however often. Those perverts rented them the room. They did. They did. So they know. They fully know every single thing he's doing. And... Obviously, O'Brien is a member spy, or party member spy, so he gives them the book mm-hmm. so they know that he has the full information. So that's at the end, Winston knows all of the tactics by the party, what the purpose of Newspeak is, what the purpose of Doublethink is, why they do every single thing that they do. Winston knows. He knows that none of it is legitimate. None of it is for the good of the people. He are, he knows now. Mm-hmm. They've told him. Mm-hmm. They let him know. Mm-hmm. And now they're going through the experiment to see he's this far out. How can we bring him back? Can we bring him back, make him conform, and make him love Big Brother? Even knowing everything. Even knowing everything. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Ugh. They have succeeded. <laughs> so that was my yeah. my big theory. Yeah. I agree with it. I like it a lot. It filled in that, uh, not even plot hole, it just it filled in that answer for me really. Yeah, really it's just well. a, a question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, what other reason would there be? Yeah, I mean, other than just like to move the plot forward. Right, but, right. I mean, I don't think... I don't believe it was written just uh, that it happened just so the story could continue. I, I, I do I agree. think it had a purpose. So I agree. I like your theory a lot. Yeah. I think, especially in a book like this that is not plot driven, uh, you don't really need plot devices <laughs> yeah. when your story is not plot driven. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But that's, that's, that's it. 1984. Woo! <laughs> uh, there is a movie also. Yeah. Didn't watch it. I'm kind of afraid to now. Yeah, I don't want to. I made a movie in my head while I was reading it, and yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to see it. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Uh, it the film was released in 1984. 
obviously that was intentional. It has to be. They can't have just gone, oh, wow, guys. Huh. <laughs> we released this the year of the name of the movie. <laughs> Happy wow. accidents. Happy accidents. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can give our final thoughts and then talk about next week's novel. Yeah. Yeah. Or our next novel. Yes. <laughs> It's just, it's just easier to think in weeks. It is. It is. Who, kn- who knows when it'll come out? You ooh. never know. I don't know why I did the scoops. Spooky. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll go first. Um, for me, just as I, I, I waver. So it's, it's like a 3.5 to a 4 out of 5 for me. It really made my brain churn. Um, there's just, like we spoke earlier, like it, it highlights and kind of reflects, um, parts of human nature and just how easily we can be manipulated. Um, just, you know, even without like specifically mentioning like hope and fear and all that, but like how it can be so negatively turned. Mm -hmm. I mean, not negative as far as party's concerned. (laughs) Right. But uh, as a free human being, how it can be so wildly, like, twisted against you and Mm -hmm. just um, crazy. So, And I feel like I'm still, like, mulling it over. And I have, like, new thoughts occur to me, like, at random. So this one's definitely going to stick with me for a while. The only reason that, like, part of me felt like 3.5 instead of a 4 is just, like, the unsettling moments. And then the moments that were, like, for me, like informationally repetitive mm-hmm. um, but it was a good book and um yeah I mean like I said it's gonna stick with me I'm gonna think about it a lot like I truly do see it as a a warning like it's not meant like you said it's not meant to have a, a glimmer of hope like the bleakness is meant to truly horrify you and yeah. hopefully keep you from falling in that same trap so, yeah 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 because there is a reality that hope is completely gone from. Right. That that could that could be real. Yeah. And so. I uh, I don't Oh, I did I mention it before? I was really hoping I think I did mention it before, but I I just I can't let go. Like I was really hoping that his last thought would be in defiance of them and even if it didn't make a difference, mm-hmm. it still would have meant something, but they just completely overtook him. So yeah, yeah that that completely bleak ending I, I usually don't like bad endings, but, mm-hmm. like, that one, like I said, like, it really drives home the the purpose of the book for me, which is, like, error, or not error, like, warning, warning, warning. Like, this is the absolute worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that things could become. Yeah. Be, be vigilant. <laughs> yeah. Watch for the signs. Yeah. And call it out before it's too late. Yeah. Because yeah, exactly. you get to a point of no return, yeah. and then there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I gave this a five out of five. Um, I have read this a handful of times. Jet, just general. I read it in high school. I usually a high school language arts course. You're gonna either read 1984 or Fahrenheit 451. Um, or I don't both. Know how I got away with reading neither in high school. <laughs> and, and we read both. I think yeah. one junior year, one senior year. Um, My trash educational. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
it's definitely a book that I didn't, uh, for, Fahrenheit 451, same, uh, I did not appreciate really either book because I think um, when I was younger, certainly, um, I also could not get my mind around a book that did not have a good ending or at least a hopeful ending. Yeah. Where, which Fahrenheit 451 is a little less bleak. Especially for like the the end, but um, I think in my old age, <laughs> I I don't mind um, a bad ending when it's done correct. Obviously, I yeah. do think it makes uh, a book interesting and unique because n- nine books out of ten are gonna have a happy ending mm-hmm. of some sort, bittersweet ending, whatever. I. I personally, if I'm going to pick the ending for a book, I like a bittersweet ending. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel sometimes like a happy ending where everything comes together and Mm -hmm. it's tied up in a nice little bow. It just doesn't feel real. Mm -hmm. And I read mostly fantasy, so none of it's real. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just don't buy it, I guess. I'm... At the end, whenever it is all tied up like that, I just don't buy it. Yeah. Especially if there's, like, war in the book. I simply, I just don't buy it. I feel like, eh, you are writing for the reader, aren't you? I I don't need everything in a bow, but I do want there to be... Triumph over evil, triumph over hard circumstances. Like, I, 99% of the time, I want hope. But if there isn't, there needs to be a purpose for it. It can't just be needlessly hopeless for just just for the sake of being hopeless. Hopeless, yeah. I agree. That's not enjoyable to me. I agree. But yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so I usually, the books that I love the most usually have a bittersweet ending. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So most of the ones that I really, like, hold close have yeah. a bittersweet ending. So you do get the ultimate triumph, but at a cost. Yeah. I just feel like... Yeah, yeah. If, if, if there's a triumph, but there is a cost. Everything like, comes I, at a cost. Yeah. I can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, spoiler alert, my gripe with Twilight. But I will digress. Yeah, I can see that. It just, uh... <laughs> at the end... I put in the the time. I put in the fucking work, bro, to read these books, and they are a slog. <laughs> and then at the end, you're gonna build the tension that we're gonna experience a battle. Mm-hmm. And right before it happens, beep, beep, we explain the problem away. Yeah, I will say the movie did it in a much more. Um, satisfying way. Mm. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you, or do you want to experience it for yourself? I never want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know that um, Alice can project into. Well, she she can see the future, yeah, yeah. possible futures, mm-hmm. and because what's his face, the leader of the Volturi, he mm-hmm. I think he can like, if he touches people, then he can kind of. 
can we experience our power, see their thoughts, or yeah, I yeah. don't know, something. So, But basically, she projects the future that she sees into his mind. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, you actually get to see the battle, but you don't know in the movie, unless you've read the book, that it's a vision. So it's just the battle starts, and people are getting their heads ripped off, and people are dying. Some of them are characters that you like. Some of them are ones that you hate. And you, mm. You're like, yeah, I just saw that person get ripped in half. Um, so that was really cool. But then, and it's like, oh, wait, that was just a vision. Apparently, a lot of people were mad about it. I loved it because, yeah, it's like you're going to build it up to this whole thing and then dissipate it. Like, you can't have armies standing at bay and then be like, ah, never mind, everybody. Go home. You know, there's there's gift bags by the exit. Like, thanks for coming, guys. Like, no. Which is essentially what What happens in the book. (laughs) So it, the movie doing the battle scene, you at least got that sad. I don't know. For me, it was very satisfying. It was cool. I, I liked it. Partially because I knew it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. So I knew the people I liked weren't really dying. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I liked it. It was cool. Yeah. Well. It was better than nothing. <laughs> I mean. I'll say that. <laughs> yes. It, it was. Though I remember specifically reading it, and at the end, I'm just like, you're fucking kidding, are you? <laughs> you are straight up kidding me. They literally used the amassing of the army just to show you different types of vampires with different types of powers. That's yeah. really, I mean, that's the only thing you really get out of it. And I think it's like one of the only times that you really see Bella use her powers, because she has like the shield power, right? Yeah, she's been... She's learned of her power and then, like, learning to use it. So, yeah, it's, like, the the first time you're, like, kind... But she doesn't even use it against... Like, she's shielding people, but there's no onslaught coming. Right. Like, she's right. prepping for the onslaught, right. and then it just never comes. Right. Except and for I'm, that little sociopath. I'm sure she's trying. I forget her name. Yeah. But. It's... It was just, like... The biggest letdown ever. Yeah, I get that. So, it was just, I mean, cherry on top, I guess. Because, I mean, the, the, what, how many, there are, what, four books? Yeah. The two preceding that one are terrible, and the first one is just mediocre at best. (laughs) So, I guess to end on a really disappointing note is kind of par for the course. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for all of you Twilight fans. If we do them, we probably won't do them for a while. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I will reread. I don't own any of them. Maybe I'll check them out from the library. You can borrow mine, buddy. Okay. (laughs) I will reread them and actually think about them as I'm reading them, but I I didn't like them when I was a teen. So, at 32, the odds are not good. I do anticipate my feelings on this book to be different than when I read them as a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) I did not read them during the height, during the peak of Twilight Mania. Uh, Just like Harry Potter, I was a little late to the the party wagon. And I enjoyed it. It's a a guilty pleasure movie marathon Mm -hmm. that I enjoy laughing at. (laughs) But, um... But yeah, I mean, I remember liking the books. I mean, I own the books. So at some point in my life, I thought, yeah, I want to own those. So <laughs> I'll be interested to read them and mm-hmm. see how I feel about them 
now. Yeah. <laughs> I did used to own them, actually, when they first when they right. were coming out. You probably bought them, like, yeah. oh, I'll read these, whereas I had read them, and then I bought them. So something yeah. in me so, liked what I read. Yeah, I didn't actually own the first one. The first one I read, I checked it out from the library at school, mm-hmm. and I read it, and I was like, that was fine. It's a series. I'll keep reading the series because I'm not a quitter. Yeah. And I bought, I think the second one and the third one were already out. Mm -hmm. So I bought those two Mm -hmm. and I read the second one and I was like, well, I hated every second of that. (laughs) But I'm going to read the third. The third was a little better for me, I think. I don't know. I don't remember that much about it, to be honest. There's a tint in there and I mm-hmm. hated I hated the tent thing. Why does everything awkward happen on a tent? I ask you. <laughs> I mean I don't remember what happens and I don't remember why they're in the tent. Mm-hmm. I just remember that it's Bella, Edward, and Jacob in the tent and I remember thinking to myself, why? Why though? They're I why? know they're I think they're hiding from Victoria something to do with the battle that is ensuing because Victoria is pissed that they killed her love of her undead life. Yeah. In the first book. Right, which they kill him off page by the way. Like, yeah, I mean, in the movie, (sighs) at least you get to see his head ripped off in the background. I don't even remember what the book does. But, um... They just tell you he's dead. (laughs) Kills him off page. I will never forgive writers for killing characters off page. Yeah. They did it in a... Especially, it's one thing if it's like, oh, this murderer killed... I don't know. It's if it's insignificant, but if it's like it's a significant character and you're like taking them off the board, don't don't kill them off page. If you're a writer and you are working on something and you are considering killing a character off page, don't don't. It sucks. Do the work and write it, please. Write the scene. Every if it bleeds, it leads people. <laughs> Just follow the rules. we can learn a little from journalism yeah we don't take much from journalism as literary people but that we can take oh my goodness oh my god (laughs) but i guess i guess the diatribe on twilight is a good way to end (laughs) oh and uh our next novel is harry potter and the you can say philosophers or sorcerer's stone. Mm, you can. Whichever you prefer. Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> uh, apparently Americans are too stupid to know what a philosopher is. So. I guess. God. Uh, I, I did put a little rant in our outline for Harry Potter on Perfect. that exact topic. So As it should be ranted over. It, yeah, it's a, it's a real real loss now we did get sidetracked by twilight were there any other thoughts that you feel are uh, left unsaid no i think i think my theory sums it up yeah it's a it's a five out of five forever forever (laughs) forever um so please i think everyone should read 1984 just because Mm -hmm. but um it's an excellent book and hopefully if you have no no interest in reading it, hopefully you can at least take the high points from us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. 
Um, you can rate and review us. That'd be cool. So cool. Send along your book recommendations and let us know if you have read any of the books that we've already covered. And yes. Props on our tunes and artwork. They were a collaboration of the We Read Books crew. They Way to go, crew. The crew. We got, we have a, re- a true crew happening. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, hey, stop it. Stop it. The computer's being a real a real asshole right now. <laughs> Just let me do what I want to do. Until we meet again, we will leave you with some words of wisdom, I guess. <laughs> the best books are those that tell you what you know already. So you should just read more books. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>